Hello, dystopian thriller fans, and welcome to Madison Lawson's The Registration. My name's Kayla, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. I'll be introducing you to each episode of Madison Lawson's The Registration, a story that thrusts you into a society that's just like ours, except for one key difference. It's legal to commit murder. That's right. Most citizens have the legal right to commit one murder in their lifetime, so long as the victim is registered and killed within 14 days. Linnell Mize is standing in line to register the man who abused her as a child when she overhears a stranger register her to be killed. With time stacked against her, Linnell must survive the next 14 days to uncover the truth about why she is being targeted. This unputdownable story will have you on edge as you set out to hunt for answers. It's a book to live in. If you find yourself loving this book as much as we do, CamCat Unwrapped is hosting a giveaway this week where one lucky winner will receive the full audiobook of the registration for free. All you have to do to enter is subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, or newsletter, and answer a quick survey, all of which are linked in our bio. Each new subscription is one entry, so make sure you enter for your chance to win this book to live in. Enjoy! If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to the registration now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. The first two episodes of every book can always be found on CamCat Unwrapped, but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. So subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped, and if you love this story, you can support the author by buying their audiobook. The story opens with Linnell preparing to defeat her childhood demons, only to discover she is registered to be killed. No one has ever outrun the registration. She must do the impossible and survive the next 14 days in order for the registration to expire. Anyone could be her killer. Any day could be her last. CamCat Publishing presents The Registration by Madison Lawson. Narrated by Kathleen McInerney. For my dad, a miracle, Superman and proof that good men and fantastic fathers exist. I'll love you forever, and I'll miss you always. Thank you. Day One Linnell feels the sun cutting into her skin, a harsh reminder of her own mortality. She rolls forward onto her toes and holds her hand up against the sun, the motion puts an old scar on her forearm in her direct line of sight. Her stomach clenches, and she steps back into the shade. Dallas is busier today than on a usual Thursday. The first Thursday of the quarter, April 4th, brings promises of vengeance, clarity, relief, justice, and love. It's registration day. Linnell rests against the wall of the building and leans her head back, she flattens her palms against the hot stones, listening to the city's symphony. Hundreds of feet pound the pavement, and the streets are congested with honking cars and people on the phone. Across the street, a 
an old man walks out of the large glass door Linnell has been staring at for two hours. He folds a piece of paper and slides it into his back pocket. She wonders whom he just registered. The odds suggest a wife or loved one in chronic pain, as mercy is the most common reason for using the registration. But perhaps this man seeks justice. Linnell's high school history teacher used his registration on a man who assaulted his daughter and got away with it. No jail time or community service. But with the registration, he found justice anyway. A gunshot brutally pulls her out of her rumination. A young girl screams, and a few older kids jump or duck. Linnell, like most of the adults walking the streets, only flinches at the sound. While public registrations aren't common, the first day is always the most violent. She looks up to see a middle-aged man lying in a pool of his own blood, and a woman, the same age, standing over him, holding a small, smoking gun. Instantly, a pair of Elysian regulators rush to her side. Linnell can't hear what they're saying, but after the woman holds up a piece of paper and the officers dig in the man's coat, they nod. A lengthy phone call later, the regulators leave. If the registration had been completed anywhere else, officers probably would have arrived first. But since she's right outside a registration office, there are plenty of regulators around to check the legitimacy of the completed registration. The woman kneels next to the man's side, back straight, as she reaches toward his pocket. Two men a few feet away pull out their phones and start snapping photos before running off. Perhaps they're nothing more than curious bystanders, but the deep frowns on their faces tell a different story. Linnell would bet her own registration that they're rebel vultures collecting gruesome images of any deaths they stumble across. Whatever remains of the revolutionists will flood the internet with photos of the worst completed registrations to sway others to their cause. What they won't show are the grateful faces of those who will be registered so they won't have to spend another day on a ventilator or suffering through chemo. They won't show the heartbroken women registering the unnamed fetuses they carry with debilitating illnesses, or the poor teens ending a pregnancy they could never afford. They won't show people the government failed, like Linnell's old teacher, or Linnell herself, who now must seek justice themselves. With the sanitary crew yet to be dispatched, no one touches or moves the body. Pedestrians simply avoid stepping in the blood, continuing with their day. Linnell turns away from the sight and stares at the tall glass doors again. She takes a deep breath. Not for the first time, she considers going home and taking advantage of her day off. She has most of her life to register. After all, she's always been told, never register before you turn 30. Chances are, you'll need that registration when you're 50, more than you think you need it when you're 20. But Linnell is 24, and she's been wanting to register the same person for nearly two decades. She doesn't think she'll ever have a better use for this gift. And now, with the news that he's getting married at the end of the year to a woman with three daughters, Linnell knows time is running out. She needs to do it soon, 
if not for her own sanity, than for the safety of those girls. She could still wait until next quarter's registration, though. Linnell looks at the scar on her arm, one of the oldest decorations to the canvas that is her body. She pushes off the wall and walks across the street toward the glass doors. She's thankful Eric Elysian requested measures to make picketing and protesting outside registration offices illegal, and grateful the government enforces them. She's not sure she would have been able to walk past a crowd of ignorant jerks calling her a murderer. Without the registration, chaos, violence, and homelessness would have consumed their world. Without it, they would never know true love or have anything to test it with. It's the only thing that saved them after the devastating civil war that seemed to have no end. The entire country owes a lifelong debt to the Elysians for saving them. Linnell knows that. The registration is a product of the Elysians' private business, but they work so closely with the government that it's virtually an inalienable right. Well, an inalienable right that must be paid for. It's protected by both the Elysian Corporation and, when necessary, the government's law enforcement. Eric Elysian, the current owner of the registration, is practically one of the oligarchs himself. In the past, before Linnell's time, the rulers of the United States were supposedly elected by the people, but really, they conned their way there. It wasn't a true democracy. Citizens fought back, demanding that their voices be heard. They wanted real power over their lives, laws, and money. They wanted to implement change. A civil war followed, brother fighting brother, sister denouncing sister, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons at each other's throats. In ninth grade, her school made all students watch a documentary about the war. It was bloody chaos with far too many points of contention between the two warring sides to find compromises. Then, Gideon Elysian showed up and proposed his idea to the few leaders still holding power on both sides of the war. The registration would give individuals power over life and death, while the government retained the authority to create laws and enforce them. For example, the death penalty would be abolished which is what half the country wanted. But the other half, individuals who wished to sentence a felon to death, could use the registration to execute their idea of rightful punishment. The war came to an end, and tired of fighting, the country settled into a precarious peace. The rest, as they say, is history. The country has since been ruled by oligarchs, with the aid of the Elysians and their registration. They keep the peace, ensure commerce, and everyone is happy because citizens have access to true justice and mercy with the registration. No need for corrupt democracy or oppressive tyranny. At first, when Gideon Elysian proposed and created the registration almost 70 years ago, everyone regardless of age, origin, color, title, or class, had the option to pay the fee to get one registration. The Elysians worked closely with the oligarchs, ensuring laws were set in place to support it. The registration entitles citizens 
to kill the person they registered. No questions asked. But there's a catch. You have to end that person's life within two weeks, or your immunity is forfeited, as is your chance for another registration. If you kill your registry at any time other than the two weeks after registering, you will be charged with murder. After a few years of madness, the government added another law. Parents must pay the fee for their newborn, or that child will never be allowed to legally register anyone. That's why you need to know for certain. That's why you have to be sure that this is the person you want to register. You can't waste such a gift. Linnell has held on to her gift her entire life. Her mom didn't have that gift. If she did, their life would have been different. Her childhood would have been better. And Linnell wouldn't be using her own registration right now. Linnell looks at the scar again, thinks of those three young girls, takes a deep breath, and pulls open the large glass door. Wait, please, give her three more months. She may wake up. A young girl, maybe 12, yells at a boy only a few years older than her at the other end of the crowded room. They're easily the youngest people here. And Linnell's heart aches at what must have happened to them to cause the boy to use his registration so early. Most people in line are older, though there is a woman who looks close to Linnell's age, holding two babies in her arms. A man halfway down the line leans on a cane, his legs shaking, and his glasses balancing precariously on the edge of his nose. It's a large room, probably 20 to 25 yards wide. The walls, floors, and ceilings are white marble. There's no way to look outside or in. The only windows in the room are the 11 clerk stations, where lines form to register. Above each window are two letters. The first, on the far left side, says A to B. The next says C to D, and so on. Some, such as X to Z, have much shorter lines. Linnell knows what to do. Stand in the line coordinating with the last name of the person you intend to register. She's walked inside the building and stood in line twice before, always chickening out at the last minute. There are hundreds of people dispersed throughout the room. The young girl and boy stand behind a short black woman wearing a thin blue shawl in the U to W line. With a deep breath, Linnell steps into the M to N line. There are probably 30 people ahead of her. 30 people registering. 30 people being registered. 30 deaths in the next 14 days. 30 moments when some lives end and others mark the new beginning they so desperately crave. Linnell looks at her watch. It's almost 3.30 p.m., which means everyone in this time zone only has an hour and a half to register before they must wait for July. Linnell lowers her arm and sees a small scar peeking out from under the watch strap, her stomach churning and heart palpating as if her own name were about to be registered. She pulls down her sleeves. The unrelenting summer heat is no longer barreling down on her. 
and the air-conditioned building starts cooling the sweat clinging to her skin. She zips up her hoodie, tucks her fingers under the sleeves, and pulls up the hood as if to shield herself from the world. She has no reason to hide. The registration is good, pure, and just. People will not look down on her for registering Alan. She knows this, but she prays to remain unseen nonetheless. Sounds from the large building assault her ears as she rocks on her feet with her hands hiding in the pockets, pens scratching on pages, names spoken with a chilling finality, crying, whooping, rustles of bags as people search for IDs, a cough from a small, frail old woman clutching to her husband two lines over. The line Linnell stands in moves forward. She looks at her watch again, 3.30. Linnell watches the couple make it to their window. She listens as the man says he wants to register his wife. She stands next to him, leaning on him for support, smiling up to him with so much gratefulness that Linnell wants to sob. That is what selfless love looks like, she thinks, ending your best friend, your partner, your teammate's life, because it is too unbearable to keep living, because you love them enough to let them go. The line moves, 333. A small part of her hopes she won't reach the window before the clock strikes five o'clock, and each window clangs shut. But when the queue is more than halfway done, and her watch says 408, she knows she won't have that escape. She starts shivering. The air conditioning is blasting, and she's standing directly under a vent. She glances up, and a strand of deep brown hair breaks free from her bun. Huffing, she tucks it behind her ear and hunches her shoulders. They move forward again, 411. I'd like to register Michael Nancine, a stocky man with a shaved head says at the front of their line. Name? Linnell stops listening as the man starts feeding information to the registration clerk. She wonders what Michael Nancine did. Does he know his days are numbered? That he probably won't live to see May? Does he feel regret for whatever propelled this man to register him? She knows Alan feels no regret, and that he's too arrogant to assume someone might waste their registration on him. He doesn't truly know Linnell, he doesn't understand the effect of what he's done, and he doesn't care. The line surges forward after Michael Nancine has successfully been registered. Linnell flexes her fingers and moves her arm forward. As if in slow motion, she feels the friction as she pushes the sleeve back to read the watch again. She can feel every hair on her arm, the pain in her right ankle, the shortness of breath. The world loses focus, and she never notices the time at which she hears six words that make her spine shake with fear. I'm here to register Linnell Mize. Linnell smells unwashed feet, applesauce, and a sharply sweet peach perfume. But she hears nothing but the cough that comes from the man at the front of the line. She leans to the side so she can see his back, broad and covered in a simple gray t-shirt. It's stained 
with two small patches of sweat under his armpits. She sees him place his hands on the counter as he speaks to the woman behind the window. She watches the lady's mouth move as she asks for his name. Zachary Price. Linnell feels her breath punch at her chest, forcing her to keep on living. She watches the back of the man's head as he accepts a form the lady slides under the window. Confusion clouds her mind. Her hands feel numb. She turns around and stares at the woman in line behind her. She scowls at Linnell and looks down at her phone. The air conditioning grows louder. Registry's date of birth? Linnell hears the clerk ask. Linnell hears the man's rumbling voice answer correctly. January 31st, 24 years ago. He knows her birthday. He knows her. Well, enough to want to register her, to waste his registration on her. Does she know him? Zachary Price. The name doesn't ring a bell. Who is he? Has she done something to him? Fill out this form. Be sure to include your social identification number at the bottom. Sign here, 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 and here. Write the reg- Linnell checks out again, her ears filling with a deafening roar. She looks down at her hands, sees them shaking, watches bulbs of sweat gather on the back. She trips when the lady behind her shoves her. Make a little space, the lady behind her barks. Linnell looks up and sees the man who registered her turning towards the commotion. Before he can see her face and she his, Linnell turns away, breathing hard. Zachary Price. She has never heard the name in her life. She's sure of it. What are- The lady gasps as Linnell pushes her out of the way and starts for the door. The world seems to tip as she grasps the handle. I'm here to register Linnell Mize. Linnell shoves the door open and falls into the world outside. A little boy turns to look at her, smiling wide to reveal two missing front teeth. He stops moving, and Linnell trips over the tip of his shoe. She reaches out for a hold on something, and the closest thing in her path is his shoulder. The boy screams. His mom tugs him out of Linnell's grasp and starts yelling at her. But the only thing she can hear is Zachary Price's voice. I'm here to register Linnell Mize. The phrase repeats itself over and over in her mind, screaming, whispering, echoing, promising death, making use of the gift of the registration. The gift that doesn't feel like a gift when you're on the other side. I'm here to register Linnell Mize. She dares a look back and sees the door open. Without waiting to see who steps out, she takes off, running. She pushes a man out of the way and dimly hears him shout at her. Then she stumbles over the legs of a homeless woman and lands hard on her elbows. Pain shoots up her arms, and the world returns to focus, filled with color that she didn't know had drained away. She blinks. Her ears ring, and her mind seems to shake, unable to grasp the enormity of the situation she finds herself in. She smells trash and body odor. The homeless woman next to her is ranting about the registration, taking everything from her after her husband had been registered, and that the rebels are right 
and the Elysians are tyrants. Linnell grunts and pushes herself up, trying desperately to ignore the pain in her arms. She twists her arm and sees blood dripping. When a drop splashes on the dirty pavement, it seems as if her heart has already been claimed by Price. She can feel his fist threatening to crush it. Linnell stumbles back when someone runs into her. Get out of the way, bit. The shout is cut short when Linnell twists and slaps the man who was yelling at her. He blinks and scowls. His hands are curling into fists and his face turns red. Before he gets a chance to yell more or hit back, Linnell starts running. She runs for six blocks before descending the steps to the subway. Her hands shake as she pulls her card out of her pocket and scans it so the doors will let her through. As soon as she reaches her train, she checks her watch. The train should arrive in seven minutes, which feels like enough time for Price to kill her three times over. She glances around, trying to decipher each face to see if one of them could be the man planning to kill her. She looks for a gray t-shirt or recognition in the eyes of the many men crowding the underground train station. She hides between a bench and a snack dispensary machine behind an exceptionally plump woman and lowers her head, looking at her feet, hoping to remain unnoticed. As soon as the train arrives, she joins the crowd of people climbing on, not flinching at the skin-to-skin -skin contact and putrid smells. She leans her head against one of the poles and takes several deep breaths to calm her racing heart. It takes 12 minutes to arrive at her station. She stares at her watch, feeling the small hands mocking her as they tick away the seconds of her life. If someone is registered, it's for a reason. It's never simply revenge or anger. The registration is not subject to the fleeting quality of human emotions, her father said once. Well, according to her mom, anyway. What would he say if he were here, watching Linnell run from a man who just registered her, who just promised the system that in 14 days, Linnell Mize will be dead? Washington Station, the robotic voice shouts through the carriages. Linnell leaves sweat behind on the pole when she exits the train. She looks both ways, making eye contact with no one. Her heartbeat continues to speed up as she takes the steps three at a time and exits the underground station. Her apartment is still a five-minute walk away, but she runs and makes it in two. Price probably knows where she lives. He will have done his homework and likely knows everything about Linnell. He must know that her father was registered 20 years ago, must know that her mom married Alan a year later, knows that she, shit, Linnell shouts, despite her desire to stay unnoticed. Several people look her way, and she smiles softly. Sorry, she says, fishing her key out of her pocket and sliding it into the lock. It doesn't turn. She pulls it out and tries again. Still, it doesn't turn, and Linnell begins pacing in front of the door. She's about to try one more time when she realizes the key isn't turning because the door is already unlocked. He beat her here. She should leave, go somewhere else, go home, leave the city, hide for the next two weeks. Or perhaps 
she could go after Price herself and demand to know why. She could register Alan and be sure to take him with her when she goes. She could write a letter to- She shakes her head, stopping that line of thought. She probably just forgot to lock it after she left this morning. With a deep breath, she pushes the door open and disappears into the darkness of her apartment, only to be stopped by a tall man standing in front of her. Linnell. She doesn't scream, but her entire body tenses up and her blood grows cold and her heart stops beating for a moment. She can't make out the man's face, but the stature is almost identical to Price. The voice is familiar, too familiar. Linnell, he repeats. And suddenly Linnell wishes it were Price standing before her, rather than the man she thought she'd never see again. What are you doing here, Daniel? Linnell's body doesn't calm, but she does get enough energy to storm past him and into the apartment. She brushes his arm and feels his fingers graze her skin. I came to, Linnell, you have to listen to me. You need to leave town, he says, his voice shaking. Linnell spins around, almost bumping into her tattered green couch. The apartment is small. Linnell doesn't have much stuff, and what she does have is old and worn. Why, she demands, despite agreeing with Daniel. I can't tell you, but you have to trust me. Linnell laughs, and the sound is filled with so much venom, she's surprised it doesn't kill her, or him, on the spot. You promised me you would never say that again. You promised me you'd never come back into my life. Go home, Daniel. Linnell, please, leave me alone, she screams. The words bounce off the walls as Daniel blinks and takes a step back. He seems to just have taken in her state, her damp clothes, tangled hair, and red eyes. She must look crazed. Leave me alone, please, she repeats, quieter this time. Linnell turns her back to Daniel and heads to her bedroom. She sets down her bag and pushes open the door. She's digging through the bottom drawer of her dresser when she looks up to see him standing in the doorway, arms crossed. Linnell seethes, her teeth grinding together until her jaw hurts. A small trickle of her fear instantly evaporates as she picks up the gun from the back of the dresser. She opens the barrel of the gun to find it's full, which is good since ammo is surprisingly hard to come by. Legally acquiring a gun is a long process and ammo is highly controlled. You have to provide a reason for every single bullet before purchasing them. As a result, very few registrations are completed by using a gun. Careful to keep the gun out of Daniel's vision, she tucks it in the waistband of her pants and stands up. She suddenly wishes she had kept her emergency bag in her bedroom rather than under her desk at the office. Instead, she grabs a small bag and shoves in a change of clothes, a water bottle, and her wallet. She should probably get more, maybe a first aid kit and some food. But the gun is all she really came here for, and now she needs to leave. Go home, Daniel, Linnell says, pushing past him to leave her bedroom. The weight of the gun suddenly disappears, and she whirls around. I 
thought you got rid of this, he says, holding the gun and examining it as if the secrets of the registration are etched into the metal. Give it back, she reaches out, but he yanks it from her reach. Promise me you'll get out of town. Give it back or I'll call the cops, Daniel. He raises an eyebrow. Oh, so this gun is legal? Linnell stops trying to reach for the weapon and crosses her arms. What do you really want? As thick as ever, he muses, lowering his arm and returning the gun within her reach. I want you to leave town, Linnell. She's about to tell him to go to hell, but then wonders why he's so insistent on this. Does he know about the registration? Does he know who Price is? Where would you like me to go? She asks. He takes a deep breath and gives her the gun back. The feel of the cold metal is reassuring. His blue eyes meet her brown ones, and he sighs before saying, as far away as possible. Daniel, always prepared, had brought an extra change of clothes. He insists on following her to the station. Are you going to tell me why I should leave town? Linnell asks, changing in her bedroom while Daniel waits outside. She pulls off her pants and shirt, replacing them with leggings, a t-shirt, black boots, and a deep red shawl tied around her waist while waiting for Daniel to reply. She's about to repeat her question when his answer comes. There's talk about some anti-registration protests taking place all over the city. Businesses that support the Elysians will be targeted. You still work at that law firm? She does and the office has been tagged by the rebels before. The firm's main purpose is to represent civil cases that are connected to the registration. If someone sues a neighbor for property damage caused while completing their registration, the defendant will likely hire someone from Linnell's firm. The lawyers are well known for getting people off on a multitude of charges in the name of the registration. Daniel's reasoning feels shallow. It's been several years since there were enough protests to cause real damage. And even if something were to happen, Linnell could simply wait out the worst of it in her apartment. Back with the so-called freedom fighters, are you? Linnell asks, instead of challenging him. It just might not be safe in town for a few days, he says, using his lying voice that Linnell would recognize anywhere. He's never been comfortable with dishonesty, and all his lies have a truthful core. Maybe he really does want her to be safe. He just refuses to tell her what the danger is. Or maybe he has no problem with lying to her anymore. Why do you care, Daniel? Daniel cuts her off with a chuckle. You've always asked too many questions. Linnell finishes lacing the boots and stands up crossing her arms. I think I'm entitled to a few questions. You show up after three years demanding I leave town and expect me to blindly obey? You, she's about to throw a string of choice words in his direction, when the look on his face causes the breath to stop in her throat. His mouth is set in a tight, straight line. You seem to have forgotten, Linnell. He turns around and picks up his bag. You left me. Linnell blinks, prepared to retaliate, 
when he steps so close she can feel his breath. Three years of guilt morphing into anger causes her hands to shake. She wants to scream about broken promises and broken hearts, but then he's reaching behind her and gathering up her hair. What are you doing? She asks, trying to shrug him off. You'll want all this hair out of your way, he says, looking past her face to avoid making eye contact. His arms are on either side of her head, and she feels heat radiating off them. She hisses as he tugs at her hair, pulling it through a hairband. Sorry, he mutters, before stepping back to admire his handiwork. I can put up my own damn hair. Daniel shrugs, smiling sadly, before turning to the door. We've already been here too long. Let's go. Without further argument, Linnell grabs her small bag, turns off the lights behind her, and walks out the door without so much as a backward glance. Daniel follows. I feel like we should be running, she says, as they wait at a crosswalk. We should be as inconspicuous as possible, Daniel says, hooking his fingers through the straps of the backpack. The light changes and they join the crowd of people leaving the city after they've finished their registration. She wonders if there will be any fulfilled registrations on the train station platform, and desperately hopes not. She's not in the mood to see dead bodies left unattended. Her body may add to their numbers soon enough. Linnell speeds up her steps to keep up with Daniel's long strides. He smiles and nods at an old woman that passes them, always polite, even during what may be the last moments of her life. Under the melting sun and surrounded by people, Linnell asks, what's the plan here, Daniel? Why? He cuts her question short by grabbing her arm and pulling her to the edge of the walkway into the shade of the closest building. Someone bumps into her on the way, and her body freezes until she looks up and sees a man that is too old and short to be Price. We're Mark and Emily, he starts. Who? A few days ago, I got us new IDs, complete with working social identification numbers and photos. At that, Linnell's back straightens, and she stares at Daniel, his words pulling her lips into a frown. He got them both IDs days ago? That is far too much preparation for getting out of town to avoid a few protests. I had to use an old one of you, but it'll work, Daniel continues. We are Mark and Emily Hunter, and we've been married for two years. Convenient, she says, studying him with increased suspicion. Even as her brain tells her that these are too many coincidences, her body feels more relaxed in his presence. Her mind doesn't trust him and tells her to run. Her gut trusts him more than anyone else and begs her to stay. Daniel ignores her and glances around them to be sure no one is listening. I've got the IDs in the bag. I've also got us two tickets for a train that's going to leave without us if we don't start moving, like now. Linnell almost steps out of Daniel's orbit to flee, but instead, she lets her ex pull her back into the flow of traffic. They quicken their pace toward the station, which is a 20-minute walk away. You're coming with me? She's not surprised that he's been planning to join. He was always good at that, revealing information to her slowly 
to keep from freaking her out. Maybe he's using that tactic against her now, luring her into a trap disguised as safety. Where are we going? She asks, watching for any sign of guilt or dubious intentions in his face. North, to Chicago. Seeing her frown, he adds, not to my parents' place. I just wanted to get as far away as possible, and I have somewhere we can stay for a night before we keep moving. He sounds sincere, and it's enough to calm Linnell's suspicion for the moment. She nods, her mind too busy with her last memory of Chicago to properly respond. Her chest aches as she recalls grabbing hold of Daniel's arm and laying her head on his shoulder. She curled her feet up into the airplane seat while he chose an old movie to play, ignoring her protests. The air was cold, and she hadn't feared her stepfather in two years. Back then, she had no idea what was coming, what would cause Daniel to leave her forever, just a year later. She let herself stay in that moment, drinking water from a plastic cup and stealing Daniel's wine when she thought he wasn't looking. He smirked because, of course, he saw his 20-year-old new wife drinking his wine. And of course, he didn't care, because they might as well have been alone on the large plane. Linnell had felt untouchable. Daniel's grip is no longer soothing, yet the touch is familiar enough to keep her from sinking into fear. They make it to the station in 15 minutes, and Linnell follows Daniel through security, her heart beating faster than she thought was possible. She's thankful for the lack of metal detectors, so her gun, tucked at the bottom of her bag, goes unnoticed. Daniel digs two IDs out of his backpack and hands them to the guard with a big smile on his face and pulls her into his side. Linnell looks to the floor, certain her face is burning with the truth. But then the guard says, have a good trip, Mr. and Mrs. Hunter. And he's waving them through. Daniel gives her shoulder a small squeeze and lets her go. Linnell lets out a breath. It's not unheard of for people to try and run from their registration if they find out they're registered, that is, which is rare. Everyone knows the lists on the black market are fake. The Elysians made sure years ago that the registration would be too heavily secured to be leaked. So, if they're lucky, people learn the old-fashioned way, word of mouth. If they don't find out soon enough to register their would-be killer in return, their only choice is to run. You can't fight back, because assaulting or killing the person who registered you isn't considered self-defense. That law took the longest for the government to pass, making it nearly impossible for a registered person to defend themselves without being arrested on the grounds of assault. Linnell has heard a handful of stories of people trying to survive the registration. Most don't end with survival. The only two stories of people who have outrun the registration are famous among the revolutionists, because rumor has it that the survivors became the first important rebels who fought against the registration and government. Although they might have survived the registration, they didn't survive the battle with the government forces. This way, Daniel says, pulling her to the right down another corridor. The white brick walls are covered in graffiti, posters, and a few screens. 
one flashes white before showing an image of Eric Elysian shaking hands with a congressman. The words, we work together for the good of the people, cover the bottom half of the screen in big block letters. The image flies to the left, and an advertisement for a bank card takes its place. A few feet down the corridor hangs a large poster featuring a new boarding school in West Texas. The poster claims to accept students of all religions, and that 97% of their students go on to achieve a higher education degree. Linnell remembers begging her mom to send her to one of the popular boarding schools in the state, but they were too expensive. Graffiti of crude drawings and names cover the poster, the most noticeable bright green words saying, brainwash your children, and Eric Elysian is a fraud. Here we are, Daniel says, when they reach the end of the corridor. They stop in front of platform 17, and Daniel hands their tickets to the check-in lady. She slides them under a machine, and after the ding, she hands them back, now covered in three blurred lines of ink. Welcome aboard, she says, handing a key and a receipt to Daniel. Linnell meets her eyes and wants to sink into the shadows. Thank you, Daniel says, then tugs Linnell down the hallway to the train. They keep their two bags close instead of handing them to the baggage handler loading the undercarriage of the train. Daniel keeps hold of Linnell's hand as they board and walk through the train. Her gaze darts around, jumping from face to face, half expecting that she'll see murder in one of them. Most people aren't paying attention. They shove past each other to find their cabins, herd children onto seats in the public carriages, and push bags into overhead compartments. It's registration day, the busiest day of each quarter for traveling, and no one knows that Linnell is standing there, expecting a bullet through her head at any moment. Come on, Daniel says. She cowers away from the brush of a large man's shoulder and reaches over to grab Daniel's arm with her free hand. They force their way through the crowd until they are at the back of the car. Linnell sees two free seats and starts toward them, but Daniel pulls on her hand and shakes his head. What? she asks. We're in cabin F. We have our own room, Linnell says, eyebrows shooting up. Daniel smirks showing off the small dimple in his cheek that she used to love so much. It makes her stomach clench. You think I'm going to make my gorgeous wife travel coach? He stares at her as if looking for a response. When he finds none, he shrugs. Plus, they were the only tickets left at the last minute. They head down three more cars before they reach the one with their room. Daniel lets go of Linnell's hand to fish the key out of his pocket, she takes her moment of freedom to run her fingers through her hair and down her face. Here we are, Daniel says, pushing the door open. It creaks and shudders, banging against the inside wall when pushed all the way open. Daniel tosses the bag on the bed as he walks in. The bed is barely the size of a full and fills up most of the room. On its right is a small wardrobe built into the wall, and next to it, a single chair, and the door leading to the small bathroom. Daniel falls back onto the bed and threads his fingers together behind his head. Linnell 
hovering in the doorway. Well, you going to come in? It's tiny, she says. At least it's private. There's one bed. The realization that she'll have to sleep next to Daniel, if she wants to sleep at all, sends a flush to her cheeks. Hoping he doesn't notice, she shuts the door and locks it, dropping her bag. It's a 24-hour train ride, Lynn. You'll be thankful for the bed soon. Don't call me that, she says, dropping into the chair. Daniel angles his head so he can get a better look at her. Why can't I call you Lynn? Because I'm Emily, remember? When we're in public, not in a private room where no one can hear us. As if to prove his point, Daniel makes a wide gesture with his arm to encompass their room. The train isn't moving, people are still boarding. And if Linnell strains, she can hear another couple in their car talking and laughing loudly. What's the real reason? No one calls me Lynn, she says. The only people who ever called her Lynn were Daniel and her mom. I used to exclusively call you Lynn. Used to, she says. Past tense, Daniel. If I remember correctly, you stopped calling me Lynn the day you made the promise you broke today. What promise? We don't have to do this, she says, resting her head against the wall. Daniel sits up and throws his legs over the side of the bed, so their knees are mere inches apart. Do what? Have a conversation? Dig up everything that happened. We broke up, but we're here now, so can we leave it at that? Just for today? Daniel sighs and looks down, picking at a stain on his pants. The silence stretches on for so long that the train whistles and lurches before he speaks again. The movement thrusts Linnell back, and she grasps the arms of the chair to steady herself. I didn't mean it. What I said that day, Daniel whispers. Linnell stands and turns away from him, attempting to put as much distance between them as possible in such a cramped space. Seriously, Daniel, leave the past where it belongs. I don't want to bring it all back up when I don't even have a future. She realizes her mistake as soon as the words escape her mouth. He doesn't know that a stranger registered her. He can't know, unless Price isn't a stranger to him. Unless he knows about Price's plan, knew about it even before Price registered her. She hadn't considered the possibility that Daniel was somehow involved in her being registered. But it makes sense. That could be the real reason he insisted she leave without telling her why. To keep her safe, without revealing he knew this was going to happen. But why would he know? Was it his idea? Daniel hates the registration. He always has. He hated it enough to join the rebels, although it was so unlikely they'd succeed. She can't imagine him ever being involved with someone registering her. She knows she hurt him, but did she hurt him enough to make him bend his morals? The train lurches, and Linnell loses her balance, causing her to fall onto the bed. Linnell instantly rolls to the head of the bed and pulls her knees up. What do you mean you won't have a future? Daniel asks. He might not know, 
Maybe he really is worried about riots. Maybe that's all. Somehow she doesn't believe that. He won't answer her questions, but maybe his horrible poker face will give him away. I heard someone register me, she says, studying him closely. Daniel falls onto his back, hands covering his face in a clear sign of guilt. Her hands curl into fists. What do you know about this? Linnell asks, pulling long breaths through her nose to keep the anger from rising. I don't know what you heard, but wait. He removes his hands and sits up again, turning to look at Linnell. How did you hear him register you? Linnell blinks at him. I, Linnell, I was there when he did. I was in line. She looks down, resting her forehead on her knees. In line? Doing what? When Linnell doesn't answer, Daniel surges forward and grabs her shoulders. She looks up, and Daniel's nose is close to touching her own. His face is wild with emotion. Lynn, what were you doing there? She leans back and rubs the palms of her hands against her legs. I was going to register Alan. Daniel's mouth drops open, and he shakes his head, pulling his hands away from her. What? Her mouth feels dry. I was, the words don't come. What is there to say? How, Linnell, you only get one registration. Daniel, she reaches out to touch him, but he pulls away, standing quickly and starting to pace the tiny compartment. Daniel, please. She leans forward on the bed, and he turns to her, eyes so wide she recoils, afraid he's going to attack. How were you going to register, Alan? You already used your registration. His voice is low and steady, and she wishes he were screaming, not looking at her with this cold, calculating expression. She turns away, unable to hold his stare. Linnell. After a long moment and a deep breath, she looks up, meets Daniel's eyes, and mutters, I didn't do it. I never used my registration. Day two. Wed, that's 21 points, and incredibly relevant, Linnell had said, smirking at her new husband. Her face was resting against her hand, elbow propped on the pillow. The windows were open, allowing a perfect view to the city beyond. What? That's at most seven points. Daniel reached out to stop Linnell from adding 21 to her score on the little scratch paper the hotel provided in their bedside table, along with a Bible and a room service menu. Linnell pulled the pen out of his reach. Not when it's on a triple word score, she replied, and pushed the W tile back to reveal the star beneath. Daniel grumbled, fine, as Linnell proceeded to write down the number. Before she could, he pushed the board aside and threw his leg over her torso, straddling her. Linnell laughed and ran her fingers through Daniel's dark hair that was messier than usual after hours spent in bed. He leaned his head into her touch, eyes fluttering closed. You're like a dog, she said. 
Daniel kicked his leg out behind him and stuck out his tongue, panting. Linnell hit his shoulder, yelling, stop, through her laughter. He did, and reached back to shove the near-full Scrabble board off the bed to join the covers and sheets that had long ago been discarded on the floor. Daniel leaned on his forearms, placed on either side of Linnell's head. His hair fell in curls around his face as he stared down at her, his entire face smiling. Lips, eyes, even his ears seemed to be filled with the joy and love found in that smile. Even several months into their relationship, Linnell couldn't get enough of him, of his smile or his blue eyes that were darker on the edges and grew cooler and lighter as they reached his pupils. Linnell reached up and wrapped her arms around his neck, pulling him down to meet her in a kiss. Have I told you today how lucky I am to be in love with you? Daniel said, words brushing her lips. In every way imaginable, Linnell replied. Good. He kissed her again, because you deserve to hear that. His long, dark lashes fluttered closed and grazed her cheeks as he moved his lips along her skin. I love you, Linnell said. She brushed a thumb over his lower lip, red and swollen. Her hands roamed as if of their own accord over his broad shoulders and down his arms that were mapped with rippling muscles and prominent veins. Her hands made their way to his wrists, which she grabbed before leaning up to kiss him again. He moved one hand to tangle in her hair. Day two of marriage with the greatest man to ever live. Linnell's heart swelled, threatening to swallow her whole and erase every negative memory and emotion she'd ever had. She knew with every fiber of her being that she loved Daniel Carter more than she should be allowed to love anyone or anything. And she never wanted to know a life without him again. The lack of movement wakes Linnell up. She squeezes her eyes tight, desperately trying to hold on to the dream. When the last strand of memory floats away, she allows her eyes to open and reality returns. She turns to see Daniel sprawled out next to her on the bed, on top of the sheets. He's still wearing yesterday's clothes, hugging the pillow close to his face, mouth slightly open. He seems peaceful and relaxed, a jarring contrast to the tension and anger oozing from his every fiber last night. Remorse tugs at Linnell's heart. If she'd never tried to register Alan, she wouldn't have been there when Price was. She wouldn't have heard him register her. She wouldn't have run. Or she still would have, because Daniel would have found her. But if she hadn't heard Price, then Daniel wouldn't have found out that she hadn't yet used her registration. And last night wouldn't have happened. Seeing him sit at the edge of the bed, still as a statue, and hands curled into fists while Linnell told him the truth, broke her heart. He wouldn't let her touch him. He wouldn't look at her. When she'd finished her story, her entire body was shaking. For a moment, she imagined Daniel holding her like he used to. Her body yearned for it. Instead of giving him details, she filled in gaps with I don't knows and I'm sorry's that all fell flat.
Daniel was broken. She'd broken him. Linnell gently climbs off the bed and goes to the bathroom. She stares at the cloudy mirror. Her hair has partly escaped her ponytail and is tangled in knots. Leftover makeup cracks in the corners of her eyes, and a film has gathered at the corners of her lips. She turns on the tap and splashes her face with cold water, wishing for a shower. Thankfully, she packed her toothbrush and hairbrush and makes quick work on her appearance until she's presentable. The clock in their cabin reads 6 a.m., which means they've been traveling for 10 hours. Only 14 more, then 12 more days of surviving. Linnell bends down, going through the bag Daniel had packed. There are two IDs, a plastic bag filled with more money than Linnell has seen in over a year, two books, rope, a small first aid kit, some protein bars, and three bottles of water. She huffs and grabs a protein bar when her stomach growls. They serve breakfast. Linnell jumps and turns around, dropping the bar. Daniel is sitting up, staring at her, with dark shadows under his eyes. Oh, it's included. Save that for when we really need it, he says, each word clipped. Okay. Linnell returns the bar to the bag. I'll go get breakfast and bring it back to the room. Just let me piss first. Don't let anyone in the room while I'm gone. And keep your gun close. Okay, she repeats, the air taut with tension. Daniel climbs out of bed, stretches, and ruffles his hair. Daniel. Not now, Linnell. I'm just exhausted. She nods, and he brushes past her to get to the bathroom. Her skin tingles from the near touch. Her chest tightens, and she climbs back into bed, suddenly feeling sick. As the train starts moving again, she lies on her side, facing the wall, and pulling her legs into her chest. Over the last few years, she trained herself not to think of Daniel, or remember what she left behind. But now that he's so close, the memories are flooding back. Worse, the way she felt with him, safe and happy, threatens to drown her. Daniel doesn't say anything when he leaves the room. She hears the lock click into place behind him. She rolls over, stares at the ceiling, and covers her face with her hands, stifling a scream. How could she have been so stupid? How could she let that slip? She never wanted to hurt Daniel. The only way she could get through the past few years was to force her guilt to turn into anger. Hurting him once was enough to nearly break her. And now, she's done it again. Zachary Price may as well find her now and end it. If she was half the person her father had been, she would welcome it. Maybe he would tell her why he registered her before killing her. Maybe she really deserves this. Daniel probably thinks she does. Accepting it would be easier than trying to outrun it. She can't fight it without risking arrest for hurting or killing Price. The Elysians didn't create the system, and the government didn't pass laws to allow it for no reason. It's designed to work, to help natural selection keep their world alive and running, to keep the peace and avoid another civil war. The registration is a compromise 
most people can agree upon. And yet, now that Linnell is at the receiving end, she's fighting it. Fifteen minutes later, the lock clicks and the doorknob turns. Only as the door starts opening does she realize she left the gun in her bag on the other side of the room. There's a moment of panic before Daniel's face emerges. He glances at her, eyes still full of sleep, and sets the tray he's holding on the edge of the bed. Linnell sits forward, glancing down at the contents. There are two muffins, three small packages of jelly, a plate of watery scrambled eggs and bacon, and two cups of yogurt. There are also three cups, two with coffee and one with juice. Linnell reaches out for one of the muffins and sinks her teeth into it, instantly feeling more relaxed. She looks up to find Daniel staring at her from his seat on the chair. Maybe he's changing his mind about helping her run. She swallows and watches Daniel's jaw flex. Are you going to have some? She asks before wiping her mouth and taking the paper off the muffin. In a bit. Daniel drops his face into his hands, rubbing his temples. What was left unsaid last night hangs in the air, and Linnell expects Daniel to bring it up again at any moment. When he doesn't, she returns to breakfast. Eating quickly, she goes through her half of everything and lies back down on the bed, covering her full belly with her hands. Finally, the chair scrapes along the ground, and she looks down to see Daniel grabbing a piece of bacon. She lets him eat in silence for a while before sitting up. What's going on, Daniel? His eyes stay glued to the tray on the foot of the bed as he eats. Lynn, she moves her feet and leans forward until they're so close that she can feel his breath and see the hair on his tan arms stand on edge. I'm on this stupid train. I'm going to Chicago with you. I think I should know what's going on. I think I deserve to know why someone would register me. Do you? He asks, looking up. Their eyes meet, and Linnell almost can't feel the movement of the train. Do you deserve to know? She leans back, sitting on her feet. I don't know what you want me to say. He shakes his head. Nothing. There's nothing else to say. What's done is done. He shrugs, and some of the tension leaves his voice with his next words. And besides, he reaches out and grabs the muffin. Right now, we need to focus on keeping you alive for the next 13 days. Linnell flicks away a muffin crumb. Don't you think knowing why I'm in someone's crosshairs would help? Daniel offers a small smile and a breath of a chuckle. No, I think you knowing things is dangerous. Hey, she shouts, shoving his shoulder. The moment gives her a sense of deja vu to a happier time when teasing each other was second nature. Just don't do anything stupid and don't trust anyone that's not me. They sit in the room for a few hours before deciding to stretch their legs and explore the train. Linnell is on alert the entire time, her hand gripping tightly onto Daniel's. He'd probably prefer not to touch, but she's too anxious not to. Each car with private rooms looks the same, 
with four doors to rooms on the left and a small hallway connecting the cars on the right. There are two dining cars, one at the end of the train and one in the middle. They walk through 10 public cars and dozens of people scowl at them from their uncomfortable seats. Linnell tries not to make eye contact with anyone, but fails multiple times over when she can't stop studying their faces. When noon approaches and service personnel begin delivering lunch to the individual cabins, they return to their room in silence. They eat as the train moves along, jostling them and causing soup to spill on the way to their mouths. When finished, Linnell places the empty trays outside their room, and Daniel lies back on the bed, instantly falling asleep. Linnell sits on the corner of the bed, watching him. His chest rises slowly, and his eyelids flutter as if his dreams are trying to wake him. Every once in a while, his arms clench, and Linnell has to control the desire to lie next to him and pull him close to her chest. She remembers the nightmares he used to have three years ago, courtesy of the fruitless battles he fought. He'd wake up with sweat coating his skin and breaths tearing at his lungs. She'd grab his shoulders and rub her hands along his arms, promising that he was okay, that they were safe. The worst nightmare he ever had ended with him giving Linnell a black eye in his sleep. He was horrified, hated himself, wouldn't let her touch him for hours, as if his skin was poison to her. He never touched her like that when he was awake. He couldn't control his dreams, but he usually calmed down with a gentle touch of her hands. And yet, twice she'd been injured because of his dreams. After spending his first two years of adulthood fighting, it was a marvel he didn't have more nightmares. Linnell wanted to be there for him and try to understand his trauma, but she also couldn't ignore the trickle of anxiety in her gut. He thrashes in his sleep, and Linnell hugs her knees to her chest, wishing she could take his pain away, especially the pain she caused. Linnell, baby, wake up. Linnell, wake up. Linnell moans and rubs her eyes. She sees Daniel sitting at the head of the bed, staring at her. His eyes are wide, and his hands are held out in front of him, palms facing out. She frowns, about to ask what's wrong. When he looks past her, she turns, and her heart stops. A man stands in the doorway with two guns pointed at Daniel and Linnell. Linnell gasps and pushes up from the edge of the bed toward where Daniel is sitting up front. Don't move, the man says. His voice is low and smooth. She recognizes it instantly. Zachary Price. Linnell freezes, her hand halfway to Daniel's leg. She looks up at Price's face, feeling her own drain of color. His features are soft, though his nose is long and his brows are bushy. He's got slicked back dark brown hair, and a bit of chest hair is visible at the top of his V-neck T-shirt. He's staring at her, eyes hard, and both guns are steady in the air. Linnell mimics Daniel, holding her hands up, palms out. Get off the bed, slowly. Keep your hands up, Price orders. Both Linnell and Daniel start moving, and Price steps forward. Just Linnell. 
Daniel stops, one leg hanging off the bed. Zack, he says, with so much familiarity in his voice that Linnell whips around to stare at him. His face drops, and he avoids her gaze. You don't need to do this. Shut the hell up, Danny. What are you even doing here? All the calm seems to slip from Price's words. The gun trained on Daniel shakes, and Linnell glances between them, horror filling her veins. They know each other so well that they have nicknames. Price meets Daniel's eyes, and they seem to have a silent conversation. Linnell feels her heart banging against her ribs, and her head echoes with the sound of Price's voice. She can't pull her eyes from the gun a foot from her face. You're not going to shoot me, Daniel says, lowering his other foot to the ground. Price takes another step forward, shoving one of the guns in Daniel's face. You don't know that. I could. There's a silencer on this gun, so no one would know. You didn't register me. You'd go to jail. You know I wouldn't. Daniel grimaces. Zack, put the guns down, he says, as he slowly starts to stand. Price quickly takes a step back, shoves one of his guns in his pants, grabs Linnell's arm, and pulls her flush against his chest. Linnell gasps, her hands instantly going up to grab Price's forearm. Daniel jumps up, but Price holds the gun against Linnell's temple, and Daniel freezes. He glares at Price, his teeth bared. The gun feels like it's burning a hole where it's pushed against her skin. She closes her eyes and takes a deep breath, trying to calm her heart. You can never outrun your registration. She'd barely made it 24 hours. Let her go, Daniel growls. Price shakes his head, and Linnell feels the motion against her back. I can't, you know that. Why are you fighting this, Danny? Linnell opens her eyes to see a flash of anger go through Daniel's eyes, and his hands curl into fists. You know why. The registration is fair and good. Linnell can hear a tinge of regret and disbelief in Price's words. You know this. Don't quote that bullshit to me, Zach. Price doesn't answer, and Linnell keeps her eyes trained on Daniel, trying to communicate with him that it's okay. She's okay. If it's her time, it's her time. She deserves it. Price takes a step back, pulling Linnell with him. Don't follow me, Danny. Go home. Zach! Linnell stumbles as he pulls her, keeping her grip tight on his arm. The door to the room closes behind them, and Price lets go, pushing Linnell forward. He keeps the gun against the middle of her back. Walk, he says. She starts moving and glances back, when the door opens again. Zack, leave her, Daniel yells. I swear, if you hurt her. What, you'll register me? Price says, a distasteful mockery in his voice. You know you can't. Linnell meets Daniel's eyes again, just in time to see him mouth. I love you. Excuse me, a conductor says as Price is elbowing his way through the line of passengers, getting off at this stop. No need to push. There's plenty of time to. He stops as he notices the gun in Linnell's back, and then looks at Price. Price instantly pulls a piece of paper and an ID out of his pocket and hands it over. 
I've registered her. Dozens of eyes turn to them. A mother shields her son's face from the scene. Linnell wants to scream for help, to run, to drop to her knees. But Price is completely within his legal rights, and no one can do anything for her. The conductor glances at the paper, then at Linnell, trying to match her face with the picture on the registration form. Then he looks at Price, and his eyes widen. He even offers an awkward tilt of his head. I apologize, the conductor says, terror in his voice. Linnell glances at Price. He seems uncomfortable and rips the papers out of the man's hands. When the conductor speaks again, he doesn't meet Price's eyes. I'm sorry, but if you'll please wait until you are off the train, our cleaning crew just disembarked. Of course, Price says. Thank you. How thoughtful of you, Linnell hisses, to wait to kill me until we are off this lovely train. He pushes Linnell again and mutters, move. Please, follow me. The conductor takes them past the other passengers, trying to get off the train. Linnell turns as much as she dares, wondering if Daniel will come to her rescue. He clearly knows Price and knew he registered her. Did he change his mind last minute? and come to warn her? Or did he never want this? Or was he acting when Price appeared out of nowhere? Maybe what Linnell told him last night angered him enough to call Price and tell him where he could find her. Linnell steps off the train first. The platform is bright with tiles and busy with people rushing from train to train. The far wall of the station is a blue and yellow mural with the words, Welcome to St. Louis, written in large bubble letters. Aren't you going to kill me now? Linnell asks as they approach the edge of the platform, where the crowd is thinnest. Not quite yet, Price says, guiding her toward the exit. They weave through hundreds of people. Linnell has trouble keeping herself from desperately reaching out and grabbing a stranger. Where are we going? Back to Dallas. Why? What's the point in waiting, she asks. Stop asking questions, Price says, pulling his phone from his pocket. He lets go of her arm to tap on his phone while they walk, but he remains close enough that she wouldn't be able to take two steps before he could grab her. They step outside, and the air slaps her in the face. It's refreshing, probably 15 degrees cooler than Texas. The sun is still bright, and Linnell squints. How do you know Daniel? You're not going to hurt him, are you? Linnell asks as they turn left down the sidewalk. Whether he was involved with Price's decision to register her or not, he clearly doesn't want her to die. He tried to save her. She looks at Price, seeing a muscle tense in his jaw. Danny has nothing to do with this, he says. Linnell tries to ignore the rush of relief. And what is this? Stop asking questions, he repeats. We'll fly back to Dallas tomorrow. You'll get your answers then, Price says. A wave of relief washes over her. The word tomorrow holds the promise that she won't die today. He steps forward, carefully leading her along so he doesn't hurt her again. They stop under a sign that says pickups, and he pulls his phone out again. Linnell glimpses the screen 
and sees a small cartoon car driving down the street toward a flashing circle. He must have ordered them a car. Price is wearing a small black watch, and the blank face on the front flashes bright red. He lowers his hand, tucking his phone back into his pocket. A minute later, a small black car arrives, and Price opens the door, pushing Linnell in first. Good afternoon, the driver says, looking through the rearview mirror. He has a foreign accent, and Linnell wonders what made him move here. Acquiring citizenship has gotten more complicated every year, and new citizens can never register anyone, but they can be registered. It doesn't make for a very appealing immigration. Chateau Hotel, the driver asks. Price nods, and Linnell fixes her eyes on him. Stop staring, he says. Linnell doesn't look away. Were you hired, she asks. She's heard of people selling their registration for hundreds of thousands to a few million dollars. It's like being a legal hitman just once in your life. But only the richest can afford it. And she can't think of anyone powerful enough to care about wanting her dead. If so, you don't have to kill me. I can disappear, pretend to be dead. Price scoffs, glancing at her. That's not an option. And if you try to run again, you'll be putting Daniel's life in danger. You said you wouldn't hurt him. Worried that her fear will just spur him to use Daniel as bait, she clears her throat and says, it's not like I'd care. We don't take me for an idiot, Price interrupts. Is it just a coincidence that he took you out of the state the day I registered you? He was ready to attack me on that train. You were in bed together. You, Price's voice seems thick, and Linnell looks at him with her eyebrows furrowed. You'll care what happens to him. You can't outrun the registration, but you can keep him from being killed, and I know you want that. Linnell wants to argue with him, but doesn't want to give him the satisfaction. Also, her throat feels tight, and she's not sure she could get the words out anyway. So they endure silence for the rest of the drive, until they stop in front of the hotel. Before they climb out, Price taps a bank card against the transaction machine reader on the back of the driver's seat. It blinks green, indicating he has successfully paid. And they head to the hotel, where Price checks them in at the front desk. Have a good night, Mr. and Mrs. Price, the lady at the front desk says with a smile. Linnell feels bile rise in her throat. We aren't, she starts. Price grabs her wrist. Thank you, he says, smiling. He accepts the key card, and they follow the receptionist's directions toward the stairwell and elevator. The hallway is brightly lit. Generic paintings hang on the walls every few feet, and an alcove across from the elevators sports two chairs and a small bookshelf. Linnell steps to it, scanning the books lining the shelf. She pulls a booklet from the top shelf. It's only about six inches long, and has thin pages bound together with a silicon spiral. It's similar to the pamphlets many free clinics, poorer public schools, and a few independent stores display in Dallas. She remembers stealing one that said, leave home, find peace, on the front as a kid, hoping it would teach her how to escape Alan. Instead, it was all about moving on as an adult, 
after you've moved out of your parents' house. Finding peace included working a job or volunteering somewhere that benefits society. Reading that booklet at night after Alan passed out was the first time Linnell learned about vigilante registration. The booklet's author started a nonprofit that walked victims through using their registration for justice, connected them with therapists, and even suggested alternatives to registering someone if the crime they had committed didn't call for death. If, however, registration was the best action, or if several victims wanted justice if a crime had not been met with a just sentence, say, if a violent sex offender or a child killer was back out in the streets in no time, then the nonprofit helped victims decide who would register the offender and provide support before and after. Back then, Linnell called the number listed for the nonprofit with a friend's phone, only to be told that they never advised children to use their registration. Half of those booklets are paid for by Eric Elysian, Price says. Linnell jumps, having forgotten he was standing behind her. I always wondered why a booklet supporting the registration would be at stores clearly geared toward anti-registration rebels, Linnell says. My mom took me to an arts and crafts store once, and their most prominent displays were clearly against the Elysians. But there was a shelf full of pro-registration booklets right by the front door. Shop owners are paid to display them. Linnell picks up a booklet that says, a fetus isn't human on the front. It only takes a quick glance inside to know it's all about how registrations shouldn't apply to pregnancies, and women should be allowed to terminate several pregnancies without using their single registration. That is one of the strongest arguments among the rebels, that abortions should be legal, should be a woman's choice, and that forcing women to use their one registration for an abortion is the government's way of taking power back. That was also the deciding argument for Daniel to join the rebels. Not that abortion was always the best choice to make, but that people should be allowed to choose. What about the pamphlets that are clearly against the registration? She asks. Why does Eric Elysian allow their distribution? Price shrugs. As much as I'm sure he would like to be, Eric Elysian is not the king of this country. He can't change the laws. And besides, the freedom of speech is still a highly regarded value. Linnell puts the booklet back and turns to Price. You seem to know a lot about him. Doesn't everyone? Linnell doesn't argue as she follows Price to the elevators. They head to a large room on the sixth floor with two beds against the far wall and a table between them. It's not even five o'clock yet, but Price sits on the bed. We're having dinner delivered. Might as well get comfortable. Linnell frowns, glancing around the room. She feels the absence of Daniel like the loss of a limb. She climbs under the covers of the free bed and lies on her side, staring at Price. He pulls a book out of his bag and scoots back, lying with one hand stretched behind his head and the other holding his book in front of his face. You're staring again, Price says, looking over at Linnell. She huffs and moves to her back. Excuse me if I want to get a good look at the person who is going to kill me tomorrow. Don't be so self-righteous. 
You were also going to register someone yesterday, Price says, lowering his open book to his chest. Yeah, well, I never got the chance. She doesn't bother asking how he knew that. It wouldn't surprise her if he saw her at the office and let her run for the fun of it, like playing with your food. You can't judge me for doing something you were planning to do yourself. Not judging, Linnell says, turning her head. She meets Price's eyes and suddenly feels like she may have met him before, after all. But I know why I was going to register Alan. I had a good reason. Why did you register me? You think you're above reproach? Maybe not, but I wanna know why you'd want to register me. Are you ever going to stop talking? Price sighs. I imagine sometime tomorrow I will. Ever the sense of humor you have, just like your- Price stops talking and clears his throat. Linnell sits up, ready to ask him what he was going to say, but one look from him arrests all words in her throat. You can have whatever you want to eat tonight, he says, rolling over to pull a menu out of the drawer in the nightstand between the two beds. He throws the thick black envelope to her and returns to his spot on the bed. We'll order in an hour. My last meal, she mutters under her breath, flipping open the menu. Hardly. I'm sure there will be time for meals tomorrow. Now shut up so I can finish reading this chapter. He returns to the book, but pauses again when his watch flashes three times, bright white and blinding. Linnell frowns when he groans and takes it off, dumping it in the drawer between them. Fighting the urge to ask him about it, she says, not a talker, are you? She pulls off her shoes, scanning the dinner items. Conversation is good, you know, healthy for the soul. He doesn't respond, so Linnell rolls her eyes and focuses on the menu. But she continues to occasionally glance at Price. When it's finally time to order, she relays what she wants. Roasted free-range chicken with fries. And devours the food when it arrives an hour later. She licks ketchup off her fingers and catches Price looking at her with a small frown. Excuse my manners, she says. Fries are my favorite. Price smirks. Care to watch a movie? Linnell pulls the remote out of the drawer between the beds and turns on the TV. She quickly finds one of the old classics, settling into the bed to watch it. Do you care at all? Price asks a few minutes later. Linnell looks over at him. About what? That you're here, that I'm here, that I'll, aren't you scared? She shrugs. Yeah, but it is what it is, and it's not like I don't deserve, the words fizzle in her throat. You must have a reason, she says instead. And you say I'll learn it. That's enough for now. I'm not going to spend my last night in fear. I've had far too much of that for one short lifetime. Price doesn't answer. And true to her word, despite being stuck in a room by herself with a man who will take her life, Linnell falls asleep quickly and easily that night, tumbling into a memory. It seems Linnell, Daniel, and Price are all harboring secrets. What did Linnell admit to Daniel that seemed to have broken him? How does Daniel know Price? 
And most troubling of all, why does Price want her dead? Stay tuned to find out. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to the registration now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. You can follow Madison Lawson on Instagram at Madison Lawson and learn more on her website, madisonlawson.com. And make sure you follow us at Camcat Books. Tune in to hear all our audiobooks as we release them right here on Camcat Unwrapped, a serialized podcast. The first two episodes of every book can always be found here but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. After that, they'll be gone. But don't worry, the audiobooks are available for purchase on Audible and other major retailers. CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. Check out our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books, including interviews with the authors, editors, and other industry professionals. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.